the reason that we worship and the reason that we find it to be important is that uh, coming into the presence of God, we, uh, we're able to hopefully shake off some of the things that we carry in with us. And it is important for us as believers, and I, I uh, am praying and asking God for, uh, for many of you that the words that we just sang are true. And I realized that on a, on, uh, in our church on Sunday morning, we have so many layers of people who are coming, and uh, we welcome you all. And, and uh, some of you may be new to worship and trying to understand what that means. Um, but I hope that you'll look at those who are full of passion and realize that it comes from a very authentic place, that Christ has made a mark in our lives and Christ has changed us and transformed us. And for that, that reason, we're very thankful. Worship is, uh, is important because it looks back at, the, at what God has done and brought it into the present. And we're talking about that today, making, a, making that mark and commemorating things. We, we do that with so many things in life. When you buy a home... You sit down with a, a banker or an attorney and, and you say, okay, we're, we're going to make a mark here. We're going we're gonna to sign some papers. And unfortunately, you have to keep those papers. Uh, I, I have many, many bank papers and, and uh, I I'm still haven't figured out why bankers can't use shorter paper, by the way. You know, they, they, use, they use paper that's this long, that seems longer than even a legal size, and then you, you, you can't cram it in your file cabinet, and, uh, but you have to keep it, and there's a hundred million of pages, and I don't know about you, but I've got some J-shaped, you know, uh, you know, folders in there. We just cram it in, and it looks like a J. But it's important, because you say, the, the house I'm now living in is... Commence, uh, uh, has a has a moment of memorializing, so to speak, that in that moment, a closing, and you have to hold on to that visible, tangible thing that represents that there is an agreement between you as the homeowner who is responsible and and the person you're making the agreement with. In this case, the banker. There are many ways that we visibly show these these acts of. Uh, of remembering important decisions and important intersections. There, there are, as we know, a handshake was a, a, at one time a mark of a good word. We would never close on a house and say, let's just shake on it. But in the, there was a certain time that there was a, there was a, a you know, that uh, just a handshake would get it done. We've seen people spit in their hand. Let's spit on it. And, you know, I'm like, that's a deal breaker for a hypochondriac. I'm not, I'm not shaking anybody's hands and just spit in their palm. But uh, and I was reading about the handshake. I was in, sometimes I'm intrigued how things begin. I don't know if you know the, the history of the handshake and why it existed. But back in the day, they wore weapons. And if you're right-handed, you would put your sword on your left side. You wouldn't put it on your right side. It would be hard to reach. So you'd reach over. And so when you came to a peaceful meeting and you extended that right hand, it literally meant that I'm not reaching for my weapon, I'm reaching for you. Intriguing. I, lo I love that. And so now we've, we've lost a little sense of that. I bet a lot of you didn't know where, that, where the handshake came from. But back then it meant something, and I think it's important at times for certain things to 
keep advancing the story of what these symbols meant. The cross of Christ for us is a very important symbol, but it's not just a religious icon. It represents an end to our efforts of trying to find God, to try to be right enough, to try to measure high enough, to get a good enough grade. It's when Christ said, I'm finished, that he put his mark on earth that we knew that looking back in the past that this was not a story to be stopped, but it was a story to be advanced. There were times in history where a, a seal was made by wax and, and, and uh, an envelope was closed and a, a wax seal was put and an emblem was embedded into that hot wax. There were times even in the scripture that there were customs that were say, okay, let's remember this. In the book of Ruth, for example, she was being pursued by a man who wanted her, uh, her to be, uh, he wanted her to be his wife. That, that could really get crazy. Anyway, Boaz wanted Ruth to be his wife. And so when they came to the agreement, there had to, he had to check everything out and he came with the necessary parties and he took his shoe off and he handed the shoe because in that day that custom meant something. Today we're going to look, for example, in the book of Genesis, the first book in the Bible in chapter 31, where Jacob is now expanding his, his family and, his, and, and the things that he owns, and he comes to the table with his a family member named Laban. And the custom that he has here is, is one like we're talking about, a handshake or a seal of a wax or a wedding ring. We, we had a beautiful wedding just a couple of weeks ago, and, and uh, that, that symbol, that visible symbol of the ring, it doesn't make you married. It signifies of what has already been done. I have a ring on my finger in just a couple of weeks. In fact, this coming week, my wife and I celebrate our 19th wedding anniversary. And uh, the rings that we wear symbolize what happened 19 years ago, but yet they live for a story. They're part of the story today. The story is, back off, she's already taken. That's what that means. <laughs> Genesis 31 and verse 43, Laban answered Jacob, the women are my daughters, the children are my children, the flocks are my flocks, all you see is mine. Yet what can I do today about these daughters of mine or about these children that, that, that have been born? In other words, we're about to expand the family. So he says in verse 44, come now, let's make a covenant, an agreement, and you and I, and let it serve as a witness between us. This ring on my finger is a witness between others. It symbolizes something. Last week, we had a baptism service that was absolutely profound in many, many different layers. It was a visible picture of something that had already been done. People did not come to those waters to be transformed. They had already been transformed already in the in the course of being transformed, already saved by Christ, and they came to those waters to be a witness to what he had done in their lives, just like this. In verse 45, we see the custom. So Jacob took a stone, and he set it up as a pillar, and he said to his relatives, gather some stones. So they took stones and piled them in a heap, and they ate there by the heap. 
interesting language that we'll come back to. Verse 47. Laban called it Jagar, Sahadutha, and Jacob called it um, Galid. The, the reason is one is in Aramaic and one is in Hebrew. They both mean the same thing, which you're about to find out. What does that mean? Laban said, this pile of rocks, this pile is a witness between you and me today. That's why it's called Galid, which means witness pile, witness pile. So when they made this pile of rocks that we see, what was happening is that they were, they were, they were making this intersection. They, as they were looking, this was a critical intersection, but they wanted it to resound into the future because when others would pass by, they would remember this agreement that was made. This past week, I, I was remembering this, this, this incident here and, and it made me think of something that was happening in Europe. And, and I, and I thought about th- this, this ceremony here and that was set up. And so Laban and Jacob, they said, okay, let's ask our relatives to bring rocks. B-Y-O-R, bring your own rock. And they, they set these rocks up. And I don't know, I'm thinking perhaps that at the end, because it's kind of the beginning of the Bible, they had this pile of rocks and they, they circled it and they probably sang songs and that became the first rock concert. Huh? It's pretty good, huh? 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 The problem is it gets worse from this point on. It, it, it doesn't get better as we go along. We're connected by, uh, just saw a dozen people leaving. I can't understand why they're leaving already. We're pretty close to the country of the, of the Czech Republic because in 2010, a very uh, close couple to us in our church were sent there to do work uh, in that country. And the country has a, 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 a very colorful history. They've been occupied by other countries uh, in the last century more than they have been free. And the other interesting, colorful thing is that that country has been revolutionized at a number of times by the younger generation. It's exciting to see what youth can do. This past uh, Monday, November 17th, um, marked a day that was important in their history. November 17th, 1939, there were a group of students that protested in the streets uh, without weapons, they just wanted to voice their 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 heart for their country to advance a country who is now being taken over by Nazi Germany. And in 1939, they lost that. But what happened in that day on November 17th is one student was shot by by the Nazi troops, and a second student was shot by the Nazi troops, and it changed the heart of those people, and they never gave up. 1989, forward many years ahead, they were now occupied by the Soviet Union. And on November 17th, one student, two students, 10 students, 100 students, 1,000 students, 10,000 students, 100,000 students, they combined their voice. And they said, we're tired of being occupied. And that launched within one week what is called the Velvet Revolution. No weapons. It was soft as velvet, but it had the power of artillery. And the Soviet Union, when they saw tens of thousands of the young generation saying, we're not going to be occupied anymore, they said, okay, we got it. We're out. So on Monday of this past week, I brought a picture for you. This is what 
this moment means for this country. That 25 years later, students filled this city. Are you ready? One million who said, we remember that intersection and we will advance that story. I appreciate so deeply that heartbeat because we are responsible to advance the story of what God has done in our lives. That it is not a religion, that it is not a precept, that it is not a, a, a theory, it's not a concept. It is a reality of transformed lives. I think of my own son sitting here. What a difference it has made to have Christ in his life. It's not like he memorized something and said something. But God has taken hold of his life and transformed that little heart. And you see the difference. And not only in you, but when you begin to see the reality of Christ in other people's lives. You say, see, this is authentic. This is the thing that people look for. This is the thing that religion hopes for, but only Christ can deliver it. It is that story that we advance, not just the facts of the gospel. Ask most Americans if they know the facts of the gospel, and they will say, yes, I understand that Christ came, that he was the son of God, that he died on a cross, that he, was, uh, that he rose again from the dead. Most people know those facts. But I heard a, 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 an interview this week on the radio, m m tremendous interview of a guy that wrote us a, a book just coming out. It's called The Fifth Gospel. Now, this is not a, 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 some kind of liberal book that they found some you know, pieces of paper buried somewhere in the sand in the Middle East. He said this way. He put it this way. He said, most people in America may not read the first four Gospels, but they'll read the fifth one. And that is Christ living through your life. That is the story that we're advancing. And I believe that it is important for us at times to stop what we're doing and to say, I need to remember the moments that God, just like Jacob did in this story, to remember this, the, the, this, the things that God has done. This week is the week of Thanksgiving where we sit down at a table and across America, I, it, it's one of my, it's still my favorite week of the year. Because we haven't over-commercialized this, this, this moment for the most part. And we sit around our tables and we remember. That's what Thanksgiving is. We remember. And it's important for us, I believe, as we, we come to this table in the context of this. My charge to you today is that when we come to the table of Thanksgiving this week, that we make witness piles. That we bring the things together that God has done. You think, okay, let, I, I need a clearer picture. There is a beautiful picture in the book of Joshua. If you have your Bible with you, you can turn to it. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we will put it up on the screen for you. But we're going to hover right here in Joshua chapter 3 and Joshua chapter 4. Let me tell you why this intersection is so important. We read this as one of many stories in the Bible. But for the nation of Israel, this is one of the highlights of their history. As many of you remember, the nation of Israel was held captive by Egypt at one point. This was a, an oppressive regime and they, they were slaves in that country. But God freed them. He took them out by many miracles. One of their first uh, uh, challenges was the Red Sea. They came upon the Red Sea. God parted that Red Sea and let them walk through. You say, is that really 
true. Thread it throughout the entire Bible. We see that the creator of creation has the power over creation because he is the creator. I had a liberal professor one time who said, you see, the Israelites crossed over the Red Sea because the water was only ankle deep. And then I said, well, then the miracle wasn't their crossing. It was all those Egyptians who died and drowned in ankle deep water. When you begin to subtract the miracles of the Bible, if Christ, if God could not open the Red Sea, then Christ couldn't walk on the sea. God proved all along the way that he has the power over all elements. And it makes perfect sense because the, uh, the person who makes it can have power over it. When we see this story and the Israelites walking through that Red Sea, it meant something to them. And God continually said, remember, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt, made you walk through that Red Sea. As most of you know the story, what happened after that was awfulness. They were in the wilderness decade after decade after decade and they just, they were wandering around and the people were grouchy and the conditions were tough and they were out and they were, they had a temporary uh, housing and, and, and just was an, uh, an awful time. God killed off an entire generation, wouldn't even let them cross over. So when we come to Joshua or chapter three, Joshua three, I say all that to try to bolster in you an understanding of not just a Bible story, but in the heartbeat. When you, I, I felt, I felt you move when you saw that picture in Czech Republic. It was an, a, an equal moment for these Israelites. That back in Genesis 12, when God promised Abraham that he would be, that an entire nation would come out of him and he would bless all nations and they would go to this hot piece of real estate called Canaan, or as we know it, Israel, that this, in this moment in Joshua 3 is the time. This is the moment. Pinpoint it right here in history. They traveled around to the east side of the Jordan River, and in order to cross into Israel, they had to cross the Jordan River. We find ourselves in this moment where now they come, they're, they're, the front of their shoes are at the edge of the Jordan River, and now they have to cross over. Now, when you feel like God is on your side, don't you think that everything should go your way? Don't you have that sense that man, if God is for me and no one can be against me, then the river will be low, the wind will be behind my back, the sun will be at my face, and everything will be just cheery. Now that is one version of Christianity. The other one that's found in the Bible, however, is a different one. When people stand at the intersection to embrace Christ, I never say it's going to be easy. I never say that life will be perfect, that you'll have no errors, you'll have no uh, hardships, no potholes, no canyons, no valleys, no shadows, because that's not a reality. You see, you would think that when this nation at this long-awaited moment stepped up to the Jordan, that God could have at least lowered the water for them to cross over. But the problem is this, that when God makes life so easy, we'll 
as human beings, you well know as well as I do, we depend on God less. So when they come up to this moment, watch what God does for them. Joshua chapter 3 and verse 15. Now the Jordan is at flood stage during harvest. So when they come to this moment that they've been waiting now literally for hundreds of years, God, what are you doing? The Jordan is flooded. When those things happen in our life, the bottom drops out, we lose our job, we get a bad doctor's report, our health fails, our marriage crumbles, whatever those things are, relationships go awry, we, we fail a major exam, whatever those things, we're like, oh God, I thought you were for me, and God says, oh, I am for you, I flooded the river because I'm about to teach you something on a profound level about Thanksgiving, and here's the thing. I'm trying to allow you to understand in the deepest part of you that everything in life is impossible without me being involved in it. That's why I'm going to have you cross over the river and you look at it and say, it's flooded. And God says, oh yeah, I know. We can't cross it on it. Oh, I know, I know. I've lost my job. I know, I know. Because see, you're about to see me do the impossible. Now Jordan, the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet, it's the small words in the Bible that are powerful. You see, you remember in the New Testament that we are sinners, but God demonstrated his love. It's those little words. It's flooded, yet, God says, as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. Can he do that? Yes, he's the creator. He has the power over wind. He has the power over water. He has the power over earth. He has the power over mountains. He has the power over the air. He has power over the clouds. He has power over the storms. This is nothing for God. It's like you taking a pile of Legos and go, no problem. God can do it. And so he, he, when it reached the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away. You know what I'm thinking when I'm reading that? I don't know about you. I wonder what it sounded like. Have you heard the sound of a rushing river? It's, it's awesome. But then what's happening... We're not told that he stopped the whole movement of the river. It just kept piling up. So there's this tsunami size. That's what loud I can do without spitting. <laughs> Verse 17, the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Are you ready? They stopped. They stopped. What is Thanksgiving? Stopping. Right in the middle of the river, in the middle of the Jordan, and stood on dry ground, while all the, all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. Now, if you read further in the story, we don't have time to go through it all. I think it's about verse 10 for those of you taking notes. 
Verse 10 said that the people hurried. I find that humorous. You know, God is stopping the thing, but still, you know how it is. We're trusting God, and yet, like, hey, just in case God has a bad day, you know, we're going to scoot over, you know what I mean? And not only that, we're, you know what it teaches me? That we're so hurried. I have had an, a tremendously hurried week. Honestly, I don't know about you. Tremendously hurried. More hurried than hurried. It's like hurried on caffeine. I got the, I didn't get the decaf hurried week. This, this week was hurried. You know what this gives me comfort? That people who lived thousands of years ago were still hurried. You know why? Because they're human beings. They're human beings. And left to their own, they would have hurried across the dry ground Miss this tremendous miracle, and I promise you, they would have hurried and scurried on to whatever they needed to do. But God said, not so fast. Stop your hurrying. Stop running forward. There, you're trying to advance, but before you advance, there are times where you need to stop. And it's exactly what he said. Watch, Joshua chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, here's what I want you to do. You're going to go back in. I'm sorry, did you say go back in because we were hurrying to get across? Yes. I want you to choose 12 men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, key, from right where the priests are standing. Because the priests were still standing in the middle of the, of the river on dry ground. Tsunami sized water being held back and accumulating with a roaring sound. And he says, I need you guys to go back in. And pick from the middle of the Jordan. From right where the priests are standing. And I want you to carry them over with you. And I want you to put them down. Which literally means give them rest. A resting place. At the place where you stay Tonight, what's the point, Steve? Let me tell you. We at here at 360 have come up with a new dirty word. I feel like you're listening a little more right now than you were five minutes ago. <laughs> Here's the dirty word. Random. Random. I'm shocked. I'm shocked at people. In general, not just Christians. That when you begin to ask them about their faith, about their spiritual life, which has eternal consequences far beyond humans can comprehend, what 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 upon 10,000 years in eternity, when we begin to talk, I am shocked at how random human beings take that important decision that there hasn't been a lot of thought given now what's happening here is that god has said i've just done something amazing something profound something you've been waiting for for all these years and you're hurrying i need you to stop and go back now if i'm one of those 12 guys you know what i'm saying i promise you here's what i'm doing there's the middle of the jordan over there I'm hearing this big tsunami thing, and I've just hurried over. You know what I'm going to do? Here, I promise you, here's what I'm going to do. Hey, here's one right on the edge, right? And you know how big it's going to be? It ain't going to be big. Why? 
we like it easy and we like it quick. Hey, here's one. Hey, here's what I'm thankful for. My house, my family, my health. Hundred, heard it a hundred times. Why? Because I didn't stop enough to go into the middle in the deepest part of the river and carry out something heavy. You see, I'm going to guess that these rocks were not pebbles. And I know that because when you read in the later of the story, it says, have each one of these men pick up a rock from the middle of that river and they're heavy. It's painful, in fact, for me to keep holding this and to put it on your shoulder because it's going to cost you something. It's not a pebble. Now, I got this rock from a landscape company here in Sarasota. It's in my backyard. Now, when I went to pick up the landscape, this rock from the landscape company, probably because of liability reasons, they said, hey, Mr. McCoy, let me get that in the car for you. And uh, so I'm like, well, no, I got it. No, 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 no. They were, they were adamant. Let me carry that rock for you. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm, they just kept forcing. I'm like, fine, carry. You want to come home with me? You can bring it out in the backyard. They washed it off for me before I bought it to make it look nice. See, in our culture, we hope that others will carry the heaviness of the story. But God looked at these 12 men and said, no. Each of you go into the middle and dig. Spend time with your hands. They didn't have shovels. Spend time with your hands and dig out the heavy rocks from the middle. They were dirty. They were muddy. They were heavy. And they were painful. Here's my proposal to you. That when you come to your Thanksgiving table. You can thank God for your home and your family and your health. Those are all good things But can I challenge you to dig deep in the middle of the river so that you say, what are the things in 2014, not the circumstances, but what did God do inside of me because of those circumstances? It is a false story, like a sitcom, like God is going to work out everything. You may have lost your job in February and maybe you're still jobless, but that's not what you bring to the table. What you bring to the table is here's what God has taught me through that. Man, I was depending on myself or my identity was found in my job or my identity was found in my marriage or I feel like I'm worthless or whatever that may be. And God is teaching me, excuse me, to do that. He's doing something differently inside of me in my riverbed. And when we come to the table, I challenge you to reach deep and bring those stories and put them to rest and say, God, I've got a lot to be thankful for. And it's not just my house. It's not just my health. It's what God, boy, there's some things that God has done in your lives in 2014 that are amazing there's shifts there inner seismic shifts in your life bring those rocks to your thanksgiving dinner along with your tater salad
That's what I would say. (laughs) You may say, why is that important? Here's why it's important. Are you ready? Those stones, those rocks, those stories, they advance the story and the future. Watch. Joshua chapter 4, verse 20. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that had been taken out of the Jordan. And he said to the Israelites, in the future, when we're going to advance this thing, in the future, when your kids, when your descendants ask their parents, hey, dad, what do these stones mean? What do those stories mean? Then you tell them, That Israel crossed the flooded Jordan on dry ground. You tell them about the flood. Tell them about what it sounded like. Tell them about your granddad and how he longed for the moment that God would do something. Tell them what it felt like, the fear of crossing over. Tell them what it felt like once you got over. Tell them what it meant when God changed your life and He transformed you. When you get over, share the story because it's going to advance who God is. For the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before you until you had crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what He had done to the Red Sea when He dried it up before us until we had crossed over. Now watch, He did this. Why? So that... All the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. And so that you may always fear the Lord, your God. Advance the story with your rocks, with your piles, with your thankfulness. The story is not advanced when your children understand that at the top of your list is your house. It doesn't advance the story. It's too random. You got to get those fingers in and dig them into the riverbed of 2014 and find them and bring them out because there's a generation who's waiting to hear what God has done in your life on a deeper level. That's life changing. You know what happens if we blow it? You know what happens if we don't bring the rocks and the piles, the stories of deeply embedded, muddy, difficult times and challenges. You know what happens? The story stops. Ah, the story could never stop. The very next book, Judges chapter 2 and verse 10. After that whole generation of rock pilers had been gathered to their ancestors after they died, another generation grew up who neither or knew neither the Lord nor the stories of what he had done for Israel. In my office at home, I have little things sitting around my office. I have a magnet board of things, of intersections in my life and things in my life that have deep meaning. I brought them to you today. I won't explain them all. You would think, okay, he's into salt. This represents for me a pivotal meeting in my life in Einstein's Bagels uh, shop. And it was so pivotal. And this little piece of paper was part of that conversation. 
that I remember that conversation. And I took it home and I put it in a frame. Why? Because it advances the story of what God has done. Here's another one for you. You think, gee, okay, it's a dime. I won't even go into what that means for me. But it, it, it's very significant. And here's another one. My, my son just came to me just two days ago, three days ago. And said, Dad, what is that? That's cool. Can I play with it? I'm like, you can't play with that one, honey. That was my dad's wedding ring. And inside that wedding ring is a little pin. They, get a, they got a pin for every year they worked at the company. Every five years, you get a little pin. You're like, wow, glad I worked here for so long. I get a little pin on my bell. I have them all the way to 40, the Roman numeral 40. You see that ring? He said, Dad, what is that? What, what, why do you keep that up there? Well, let me tell you, son. That ring is 50 years my dad was married. My, my kids have never met my father. It's my responsibility to advance the story. You see, my dad was married 50 years. Committed to the same woman. That's not going to be the norm for your culture, son. It's not going to be the norm. You're going to see people coming and going and sleeping with and all that. You're going you're to see all that. That's not the norm. But you see, my father taught me what commitment was to marry the same woman for 50 years and work in the same place, driving 100 miles a day for 40 years in the same place. Let me tell you what that means, son. It means commitment. And our family has a value of commitment. What a moment to advance the story. What rocks will you bring to the table so those who are younger will like, wow, flood, mud, rocks, all that. And God did that. God is chiseling in you those deeper things so important to who we are and to who the story is. I was reading this past week about um, about Scott, uh, who did uh, Robert Scott, who uh, was on an expedi- uh, expedition to reach the South Pole first. He got there after the after the second try. He got there thirty three days too late. The guy who who was trying to beat him there beat him there by thirty three days. He didn't make it back. He lost his life on the way back. Starvation and the and the weather was just brutal. On the expedition with him, there were other men who also all lost their lives. But just now, over a hundred years later, we're unearthing some of the artifacts, some of the things, some of the tools. And just this past month, there was an article came, that came out that they uncovered, they unearthed under ice after a hundred years, the book of, of a man named George Murray Levick, who traveled with Scott. And he traveled with Scott, and he was the guy that was making all the notes, and they found that journal. I brought a picture of it, in fact, for you. This was the journal that they unearthed. It had pictures and diagrams and descriptions invaluable to advance that story. Here's why I bring it up. What if this week, since we're not going to be random, what if you took an index card and you wrote on there, What God has done in 2014 at the deeper riverbed, middle of the riverbed, muddy level. Maybe your circumstances haven't changed. 
But often we think that that is the thing to th be thankful for, that I was in a bad circumstance and God got us out of the circumstance. It goes against what James said, and rejoice when you face trials of many kinds because those trials, they cause perseverance, they cause something happening. It may cause patience, it may cause forgiveness, it may cause different things in you. And when we embrace those things, like, oh, it's flooded, instead of going, ah, it's flooded, we're like, yay, it's flooded because God can do something inside of us. It's not the circumstance. It's what God is doing in the riverbed in the middle that counts. So don't come to the table and say, hey, I'm so thankful I didn't have a job in February, but now I got a job in September. That's cool. Great. Be thankful for that. But, but here's what God did in the riverbed of that. He taught me to trust. He taught me to be patient. He taught me to lean on him. Whatever that thing is, that is the heavy, muddy rock I'm suggesting that you bring to the table. When the Israelites left the land of Egypt, before they did, God instituted the Passover lamb. Because the angel of God passed over the people, and when they painted that blood over their doorpost, the angel passed over them, they survived. It was a picture for us of Christ who is the Passover lamb who for us painted the blood on the doorpost of our lives. And when we stand before God, it will not be what we have done, but what Christ has done. And he looks through the lenses of the blood of Christ and sees us as absolute perfection. Christ is our Passover lamb. So watch this. Why do we why do we say that? Because today we're going to celebrate what we call if you're if you're new to the faith and new to Christianity, what we call the Lord's Supper. I'm going to explain that. But a picture of the Lord's Supper is given all the way back in Exodus chapter 12. But more than that, it gives to us the reason. Watch. God is speaking to them years before they enter into to the promised land where we picked up a, a judge a joshua chapter 3 watch exodus 12 when you enter the land that the lord will give you as he promised observe this ceremony in other words stop and remember and when your children ask why are you coming to this table why is that what does this ceremony mean? Then tell them it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Now watch. These little kids are standing all around. And then the people dialed down and they worshiped. You see, right now, what we're going to do is celebrate the Lord's Supper. When Christ was at the end of his life, he sat down with his disciples and said, I know you're in a hurry. I know you got, you got things to do and people to see. I know that there are throngs of people outside these walls, but we're going to stop. And we're going to stop to advance the story. And in order to advance the story, you must remember he took a piece of bread, he broke it in half, and he said, this is only a picture. There's no magic in it at all. This is a picture of my body that's going to be broken for your muddy rocks, for your stories. 
Don't pass over it. Don't hurry along, but stop and break that bread. He took then a vessel of juice. He poured it into a cup and he said, my blood is going to be shed to wash all of the mud off of your rocks, your stones, your piles, your stories, your sin, every single thing you've ever done. My blood is going to wash those things and make them clean. And he said, don't hurry along without stopping. So today, as we come to this table, I want to challenge you to bring something with you in your heart. I want you to reflect because it is a time to reflect. God, in 2014, this thing has been heavy. This thing has been muddy. But I got to tell you, God, here's what you've done in my life. Here's the thing that I thought was impossible. And you have done something amazing. And when you bring those, those things down and you let them rest, they advance the story. Would you pray with me? Father, we're so grateful that you understand our inner self like no one else does. We pray, God, that as we come to you, God, forbid that we would, we would be random in remembering, careless, God, hurrying across the dry ground of, of your miracles, of your power, on to the next thing. You've made us, God, so you understand how difficult it is for us to stop. So, Father, we pray that you'll give us the, the, the insight today through the power of the Holy Spirit to stop and not just pick up the easy, thoughtless pebbles from the edge of the river, but you will cause us, God, to go into the deeper middle part of the river and to dig our fingers down into that mud to really give it some, some deep thought and some hard thought and some intentional thought so that when we bring these stories up and we embrace them and we get mud on our shirts and mud on ourselves and we bring them to the edge, back to the edge of the river, and set them down, we understand, God, that others are watching. Today, God, we come to this table profoundly thankful, profoundly grateful, God, for you taking floods and mud and rocks and making something of it. And proving, God, that you are in charge. We remember Christ today. And all, the, all of the, the, the hardness and the hardship and, and everything he faced, God. We remember that story, God. And we advance it here today. So we come to the table, God, on this week of Thanksgiving. 
with words that can't express truly the depth of our thanks. So God, we ask that you look beyond our words and hear the riverbed and the rocks that lie there and the rocks that we bring out and let them, God, express our thanks. In Jesus' name.